History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. to this second episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I'm your host, Diane. And I'm Denise, your co-host, and we're very excited to have you all here for our second show of History Goes Bump. All right, well, this evening, the focus of the show is going to be the Stanley Theater in Utica, New York. Special thank you goes out to our listener and supporter, Patty a.k.a. Happy Homemaker 29, for suggesting this location. If you guys have locations or events or people that you would like to suggest to us, just send us an email at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And make sure you check out our website, historygoesbump.com. If that website sounds different to you, it's because it is. We decided to make a one-stop shop for everything History Ghost Bump. So if you go to historygoesbump.com and you go to the tabs at the top, you'll be able to find the Emporium, the blog, and also something called the Spooktacular Crew. And what we've done is we've created a group for those people who are monetarily supporting the show. And we didn't create it to make people feel bad, but we wanted to do a little something extra for people who were able to monetarily support the show get something a little extra for that. So if you look under there, it'll explain all the details for you. And some people might ask, well, why do you have to give at a $5 or above a month level in order to be a part of the crew? And the reason really is, in all honesty, if you give anything under $5, we don't really see a whole lot of it because you guys probably know when you pay for things with a credit card, they take out a bunch of fees for that. And then, of course, there's these services that help you to charge the credit card, you know, Patreon, PayPal, they all take their cut. So when it comes down to it, pretty much you have to hit a $5 a month level in order for us to see much benefit towards that. Now, if you give it the $1 to $5 level, it doesn't mean you don't get anything. We are definitely very grateful to you for helping us out in any amount. And giving it that amount, you'll get listed on the backers page that we have on the blog. And you'll also have the opportunity to have your website, your blog, something that is about you linked to in the blog roll. And then when you get to the $5 level or above, membership in the Spooktacular crew includes an exclusive newsletter every month, exclusive access to a private Facebook group that we've started, exclusive bonus content in the form of additional podcasts. This is actually going to be material that you wouldn't necessarily hear on the official podcast. So it could be conversations that we have with guests that are not necessarily on topic, people sharing their real ghost stories with you that are not necessarily at historic locations, bloopers, outtakes, that kind of stuff. And then 
in the future we might do some uh, video content like when we go to different locations we'll film there and then we would share that with people who are part of the spectacular crew if you give at $25 or above at a monthly level there's some extra stuff that comes in on that as well where you can actually be a part of the show now when we have donations that are rolling in at $100 or more a month we'll start doing some extras that will include everybody so you don't have to give to the show monetarily in order to be included in these things and that would be contests and also doing some live call-in shows because all of that stuff costs us a little bit extra money. So we want to get to a certain level and then we'll start throwing that stuff in to be fun for everybody else. And as we always like to say, the best way you can support the show is just to share the show. And, you know, if you can't give monetarily, give us a review. To us, that's priceless. All right, so that's the last time we're going to bore you with that information. From here on out, we'll just direct people to the Spooktacular Crew tab for details. Now, obviously, you found the podcast, you brilliant people you, so it's kind of stupid for me to say, hey, here's where you can find the podcast. But in case you want to find it in another location than where you got it from, over at historyghostbump.com, we've got everything listed up. You can find it in a lot of different places. So before we get into the meat of the show, I thought it'd be neat to kind of start off at the beginning here discussing this article that we found in BuzzFeed that was the 13 cemeteries every ghost story lover should visit. And this caught our attention because if there's one thing Denise and I like to do, it's go check out cemeteries. Yep, we're weird. Now, Denise is a fabulous photographer, and she's taken some great photos. If you go to uh, wherehistorylies.blogspot.com, that's the blog that we keep where we talk about some of our cemetery trekking, and you can check out her pictures there. I kind of peruse everything, try to find weird-looking tombstones and tell her, hey, take a picture of this, or looking for famous names or something of that nature. And uh, so I have to tell you, these cemeteries definitely are going to make it onto our bucket list. If you guys have a cemetery that you know about that you think we should check out, please let us know that as well. I'm right now working on a bucket list of cemeteries that I think everybody should visit before they actually enter the cemetery. So number one on here is the St. Louis Cemetery in New Orleans. Narlands. Oh, I'm sorry. Narlands, I guess is how, is how you're supposed to say it if you say it right like the local. Since when are you a uh, cradle, Cajun, or what have you? Ever since I had my first helping of the toothy. We went down to the Jazz Fest in New Orleans one year, or New Orleans, I guess, and uh, we had a friend along with us, Elizabeth, if you're listening, hi, and she had great fun listening to Denise try to pronounce the different, well, some of them are French, some are, I'm not exactly sure, they might have been Native American, but uh, anyway, that would be Denise's way of pronouncing etouffee. But of course, I really became into my New Orleans roots. When Princess Tiana came on the scene with all her music and everything, opening her restaurant. So if you haven't seen that Princess in the Frog, Disney, woohoo! Yeah, there she goes with her princess stuff. Now, we did go to a cemetery when we stopped in New Orleans, and I can't recall which. That was before we really started getting into the whole cemetery pregnancy. So I don't really remember which one we went to. I don't believe it was the St. Louis Cemetery, but the thing that we found that was unique there. And for those of you who haven't been, you may not know this, is they do it a lot down here, especially in the Keys and stuff, too. They can't bury people in the ground because you're below sea level. And for those of you who remember Hurricane Katrina 
and there were coffins floating down the street and stuff like that, it's because you really can't bury people in coffins underground. They bury people in these above-ground crypts. The whole family would share it. Usually it takes about a year for a body to uh, disassemble itself to the point where it's just bones, and I'll leave it at that. So what they would do is open up the crypt after the, about a year had gone by, and there would be bones there, and they'd kind of sweep it down to the bottom, and then it was ready for another family member to be put in. And they would just continue this practice, and you could put a whole lot of family members in one crypt. So kind of a disgusting way of going about it, but when you don't have a lot of room and you got to do it above ground, that's how they would do it. St. Louis is famous for its tours, which take you directly to the tomb of voodoo queen Marie Laveau. She is a very interesting person in history. We'll probably get into sharing a little bit about her down the road when we talk about some of the haunted locations that are in Nolens. It's said that her spirit haunts the graveyard and that she continues to help those who dare knock on her tomb. And apparently people leave little trinkets and things there for her as well. Okay, so moving on across the pond, we're going to go over to Edinburgh, Scotland, to Greyfriars Kirkyard. If you've never witnessed a poltergeist and you want to, then you need to go see Greyfriars Poltergeist of Sir George Mackenzie. According to visitors and tour guides, the poltergeist is capable of physically attacking people. There are tours which take people to the site where the poltergeist resides. Yeah, very interesting. There's also a dog that has been buried there that his master died, and I believe it was for 14 years, Bobby hung out at his master's grave until he passed away as well. And he has a neat little statue there that you can see, and he also apparently barks on occasion, and people can hear him there. And for people who wonder when you listen to Denise talk, and they always think, where is that accent from? Utah! <laughs> but she's been told by people who are from Edinburgh, Scotland, that that's where it sounds like she's actually from. Stoll Cemetery in Douglas County, Kansas. Now, this cemetery is apparently out in the middle of nowhere, and it's probably a good thing because it's also known as the Gates of Hell because it's believed to be one of the many entrances to the netherworld. It's also believed that the whole graveyard is filled with evil forces, especially near the church. And if anybody has ever driven through Kansas, you probably understand. Now, going back across the pond, I'm your international grave announcer today, the Highgate Cemetery in North London, England. This cemetery is not only known for having the tombstones of Charles Dickens and Charles Marx, it's also famous for being haunted by the Highgate Vampire. According to urban legend, the Highgate Vampire is a seven-foot-tall phantom that has attacked people since 1960. Rolling in at number five is the Western Burial Ground in Baltimore. Not only is this the place where Edgar Allan Poe is buried, but this is also the place where the skull of Cambridge is buried. It's believed that the skull once belonged to a minister who was murdered. His skull was placed in a segment of cement to stop the screams that were apparently coming out of the tomb. According to visitors, the screams are still audible, and they apparently linger in their heads for some time. Okay, so going to Buenos Aires, Argentina, La Recoleta, you might have mispronounced that. La Recoleta is known to be haunted by a young girl, Rufina Campexeras. Rufina was buried alive after she was mistakenly pronounced dead. Once her body was found trying to escape her tomb, her father redesigned her tomb to resemble his daughter trying to escape it. 
It is now believed that Rufina haunts the place and goes around digging up other graves in order to make sure that no one is buried alive. And just a little side note, this is actually a cemetery that Denise has visited. And why were you even in Buenos Aires? Well, I had the opportunity in 1999 to travel to Buenos Aires to compete in the, um, the International Taekwondo uh, World Championships. And so afterwards, we did a little side trip over to see Evita's um, tomb, because Evita um, is also buried there. And so, sorry, Grandmaster Seraph, I know that you're still mad at us for not inviting you, but I didn't know. Now, something that some people may not really think about when you go cemetery trekking is that there are other dangers in a cemetery that have nothing to do with being ghostly apparitions. And um, you kind of ran into some of those, didn't you? Well, yes, it was quite interesting. Myself and um, my coach and very good friend, Senior Master Kirk Steadman, and another friend of ours, Mrs. Nunez, were, went over to the cemetery. And all of a sudden, we noticed that there were some guys that kept poking their head around the tombs, looking at us, and they were following us throughout the cemetery. And so being pretty aware that we were being followed, we decided to go ahead and leave and go down a busy thoroughfare so that we could get away, and they followed us all the way out of the cemetery. So whether they were wanting to mug us, haunt us, or get their butts kicked, we were not sure. I would have liked watching them get their butts kicked personally. Number seven, we're going to go to Salem, Massachusetts, which I, I'm thrilled to read that they have this kind of cemetery there, uh, because we're going to be in Salem, Massachusetts next year. I'll definitely have to head to this one. It's Howard Street Cemetery. It's believed by locals that Howard Street Cemetery is haunted by the ghosts of Giles Corey. He was a farmer who was accused of being a warlock during the Salem Witch Trial. That said that Corey's ghost is seen around town before or after something tragic happens. Now, my question is, is that because he's caused that something tragic to happen? I like traveling. So, number eight, Valley of the Kings in Luxor, Egypt. The Valley of the Kings is believed to be haunted by multiple pharaohs, including King Tut. It is said that when excavators open a new tomb, they release the spirit of whoever was in it. Paranormal sightings that have been reported by watch guards include the ghost of Akhenaten and a pharaoh on a chariot being pulled by black horses. Number nine, Resurrection Cemetery in Justice, Illinois. Resurrection Cemetery is claimed to be home of the famous ghost. I'm sure some of you have probably heard of her. Resurrection Mary, or the more popular name, Bloody Mary, depending on who you ask. According to locals, Mary's ghost is a young girl with blonde hair and blue eyes wearing a white dress. She's been seen hitchhiking at the cemetery. Others say that she's been spotted dancing around the cemetery. So I'm thinking if you're near the cemetery, don't whistle as you go by it. Okay, number 10, Cemetery Hill in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Gettysburg is known to be one of the most haunted places after the Battle of Gettysburg in 1863. Visitors have claimed to experience phantom smells and apparitions of ghosts warning people to leave. And if I'm not mistaken, some people have actually seen entire battles going on in Gettysburg. Spirit, like it, it was not going on, but full, full out battles um, of ghosts reenacting what happened there in 1863. So, definitely on my bucket list. Now, 11 is in Tombstone, Arizona, and it's called Boot Hill Cemetery. Now, the name of the cemetery, Boot Hill, is probably very familiar to the listeners because there's a lot of cemeteries in America that have the name Boot 
Hill Cemetery. Specifically, it was used during the American West, 19th century. And the reason why they were called by that name is because they were the burial grounds of gunfighters who were known to die with their boots on, so Boot Hill. If you've ever been mini-golfing in, say, a Colorado mountain town, I guarantee you one of the holes is Boot Hill. <laughs> According to Terry Ike Platten, the cemetery is haunted by a ghost who's wielding a knife. Platten was trying to take a black-and-white picture of the cemetery, and when he developed his pictures, he realized there was a mysterious man behind him. He said that no one was behind him at the time the photo was taken. Okay, so going back over across the pond to Glasnevin Cemetery in Dublin. And any of my foreign friends out there that are listening, please feel free to correct my pronunciation of all the lovely words that Miss Diane decided to give to me tonight. Among the many ghosts that haunt Glasnevin Cemetery, there's a ghost of a dog who's often seen visiting the tomb of his old master. The dog starved to death after refusing to leave the tomb of Captain John McNeil Boyd. And finally, number 13, Bachelor's Grove Cemetery in Bremen, Illinois. And I don't know what's called Bachelor's Grove. Maybe not a good place for bachelors to go. It's famous for the apparition of a transparent woman sitting on a tombstone. She's been named the Madonna of Bachelor's Grove. There's been actual pictures taken of the woman sitting on the tomb as she stares off into the distance. wonder if she's looking for her husband who decided he wanted to stay a bachelor. And, of course, the number 13, you know, they like to use it in these kinds of uh, or haunted-type things because it's supposed to be a bad number, but apparently you like the number 13, so. I love the number 13, especially Friday the 13th. She was born on Friday the 13th. I think that pretty much explains everything. Why y'all love me so much. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com. This Day in History. 
historian from the state of South Dakota. He wanted to find a way to attract tourists to his state, and he came up with a monumental idea. The Black Hills National Forest was already a tourist destination, and Robinson decided that placing the faces of some American presidents on the side of a mountain in the Black Hills would be the perfect tourist straw. He hired sculptor Goodson Moriulum to attempt the task. That task began on this day, October 4th, in 1927. George Washington was the first face carved into the mountain and was completed in 1934. President Thomas Jefferson followed, but things did not go as well. The facade cracked, and so he had to be restarted on the other side of Washington. President Abraham Lincoln followed, and then finally President Teddy Roosevelt. The project was completed in 1939 at a cost of $1 million, and today we know it as Mount Rushmore. You're listening to History Goes Bump. Tonight's show, we are focusing on the Stanley Theater in Utica, New York. If you guys want to see a picture of it, you just head over to our blog, historygoesbump.blogspot.com. We've got a basic transcript of the show there along with some pictures. And it's, it's a beautiful theater. It's exactly what you would think a theater from back in the 20s would look like. It's, it's fabulous. So, the Stanley Theater opened in Utica, New York, after 13 months of construction on September 10, 1928. The theater was designed originally as a grand movie palace with seating for over 2,900 people. Architect Thomas Land designed the theater, and the architecture style is most often referred to as Mexican Baroque. But the theater really is a hodgepodge of Spanish Baroque, Indian, Middle Eastern, and Art Deco. The marquee has always been something to behold, as it juts out impressively to greet visitors with glowing lights and large lettering. The exterior of the building is covered in terracotta and tiled mosaic. Upon entering, there is no missing the impressive grand staircase that rises from the lobby to the mezzanine. The staircase looks familiar, and recognition brings a lot of melancholy, but this staircase is designed exactly like the Titanic's grand staircase. The rest of the interior of the theater is glorious and ornate with gold leaf, gold columns, marble lions, gilded cherubs, and twinkling stars lodged into pink hued dome ceilings. The theater was named for Stanley Maxbaum, one of the Maxbaum brothers. The brothers owned a chain of theaters under the Stanley Mark Strand Corporation. Three days before the Stanley Theater opened, Warner Brothers bought out the chain and took ownership of the Stanley under the Warner Brothers Circuit Management Corporation. On opening night, the silent movie Ramona, starring Dolores Del Rio, played. The theater was a spectacular place to see the latest releases coming out of Hollywood, and she had a great run in, until the 1970s. The 70s saw the theater fall out of use and into disrepair, and she closed her doors at the beginning of the decade. Restoration efforts began in 1974 and have not ceased. Everything has been replaced and restored, and things like electrical have been updated. The name has changed to the Stanley Center for the Arts and now features off-Broadway shows, concerts, opera, and ballet. Now, as is the case with many older theaters in America, and I'll probably be getting my sister on a show in the future to talk about a theater that she worked in that was haunted. When the curtain falls on the stage and the lights are dimmed, not all activity ceases. Now, it's pretty hard to figure out exactly what in particular is haunting the Stanley Theater. 
or does it really have hauntings or not? The Stanley has its own set of bunks in the night, apparently. In particular, there's a row of seats, 101 to 113, that are purported to be haunted. There are tales of one seat in that row in particular that leaves patrons who sit in it feeling bewildered and scared as they are either sat upon or forced from their seat. Rumor is that the theater will not sell tickets for that seat or any seat in the row, but some claim that it's an urban legend. And so I was having a hard time finding out if that was real, because obviously the theater isn't talking about it. And this is the main story that you hear from people. But again, urban legends get started, and then they become truth in a lot of the cases. So I'm not sure if this is really the case or not. I know there's this book called Haunted Mohawk Valley. And in it, they talk about the fact that when gentlemen would be sitting in the seats back in those days, they would have grease in their hairs. Men like to slick their hair back. And the wall that's behind the set of seats is right there. The men could sit in the seat, lean their head, the back of their head, back over the back of the seat against the wall. And so it would leave these impressions on the wall. And so I guess, you know, in certain lighting, it could look like there was somebody still sitting in the seat when nobody was there. So I don't know if that's where some of this came from, or if people really have been pushed from their seats or what have you. There are also reports of shadows and footsteps that have been heard. So just that being said, since we don't know, we've never been there, so we don't know if it's haunted or urban legend. If any of you have ever had the opportunity to go there or experienced anything there or know somebody, please email us and let us know because then we can kind of validate or verify that through our listeners. Ghost Seekers of Central New York has investigated the theater on several occasions as the only paranormal group allowed to do so. And they claim to have captured orbs and strange mist on camera and video. The balcony seating area by exit 5 seemed to have a large cold spot that was felt by several people. Also in the balcony area, near exit 3, an entity seemed to manifest. Patrons of the theater claimed to have felt the presence of something in the ladies' restroom. The ghost seekers seemed to validate this claim when they got a shadowy figure flowing towards that restroom. I don't know about you, Denise, but when they talk about haunted restrooms, that's just, to me, creepy, creepy, creepy. Yeah, it makes you, well, you know, what's the old adage? The girls take a friend to the restroom every time we go because we're not stupid. Of course, if this lady's hanging out in the restroom, maybe she is your friend. She ain't my friend. (laughs) (laughs) You wouldn't let her powder your nose, Maria. So I'd be wetting my pants, though. Yeah, I know you were a fan of the Harry Potter books. Who was it? Was it Moaning Myrtle was the little girl that haunted the restroom there? Yes, it was. But she was a nice ghost. Sort of. Well, this ghost could be nice, too. You you don't know. I mean, she's just floating around. So, are the hauntings here at the Stanley Theater intelligent, or are they residual? Are the hauntings even real? That is for you to decide. Well, that's it for our show. We want to thank all of you for joining us again for the second episode. We hope you'll join us for our next episode, which is going to be the Poe Show. We are dedicating the show on October 7th to Edgar Allan Poe because it's his birthday. So we hope you guys can join us for that. Make sure you check out our website, historygoesbump.com. If you want to get a transcript of the show or find some of the show notes, 
pictures, check out historyghostbump.blogspot.com. Thank you so much for coming, and we look forward to seeing you for the Poe Show. That has to be like some sort of a rap song, but um, I'll have Diane work on that, and she'll be ready for you. If Denise starts rapping, this will be a haunted podcast. That'll be a lot worse than my my, uh, pronunciation of the words that I had to say tonight. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for listening, folks. I've been your host, Diane. And Denise. Thanks for joining us. Have a great night. Here at History Goes Bump, we pride ourselves on being commercial free and we will never charge you a subscription fee for content. Obviously, it's not free to produce the show and research takes time. If you would like to support the show, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash History Goes Bump. You can support the show for as little as $1 a month or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation. Click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com. The best support, though, is sharing the show via your social networks. We appreciate all our fans, and thank you.